And then character who deserved a redemption, Draco Malfoy. Oh, yes. I meant to ask that. Like, I just remembered he didn't have one. No, right? he didn't get anything. And, and like, I'm going to say this right now. He's not a good kid. He's he's like a Hitler youth. His father was a Death Eater. He's a rich snob. He's a bully. He throws out slurs like they're candy. He joins the Death Eaters. Uh, but in the whole sixth book, you can see he's scared the whole time. And like, and like you realize he actually is just a kid. Uh, and he can't bring himself to kill Dumbledore. And, you know, the whole time he's just kind of realizing, man, I'm way in over my head. But they never it never goes further than that they all they just he kind of is just there and he's doing bad things and he's conflicted about it and then he's just done welcome to speculative sandbox your audio playground for creative storytellers my name is Vicky Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Matthew C. Brown, you are a regular at this point. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm I'm always happy to come on and chat. It's it's just always a lot of fun. And I can, I mean, we could, I, we 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 always say, oh, we could talk about this for hours. And so I feel like this is really like our you know fifth or sixth hour, just mm-hmm. continuing our conversation. And I'm wondering how much time it's going to take us to get to Star Wars. What do you think? Um. I purposely tried to hold off as long when I was looking at uh, your your list of proposed like topics and questions and I was like I'm going to see how long I can go before we get to Star Wars. Uh, that's better than me. My first idea <laughs> from Star Wars, but I will hold off and let you yeah. take lead. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we shall see. We shall see. We get there when we get there, which is probably very very soon. Okay. And how is your writing coming along since we've routinely given updates on that? How's that going? It is slow, but steady. Um, I had a, uh, so the fantasy story that I had been working on, I got some notes and revisions back. um, And I've been kind of just stuck in on edits and revisions on that. It's nothing huge uh it's kind of just a lot of oh we're just kind of enhancing some bits and uh expanding on a lot of things i'm not a very good world builder or like a like a lore kind of guy i'm like i'm very much like this is just the way it is mm-hmm. i'm very 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 hand wavy and there's some and some of the comments were saying oh well we could expand on this a little more and if we did this and that and i'm thinking yeah you know that's that's not a bad idea like you know i want to make this as as good as possible so i'm kind of going in there and trying to add a little bit a little more polish uh dig into a few more parts of the story see what i can make better so I, i've been working on that i'm hopefully I, I would like to be done uh by the summertime by the end of summer and okay. uh and hopefully and then ho- i don't know we'll see we'll see where we go from there but and you i see that you've been doing pretty great with uh your current uh work in progress Oh my gosh. Yes. So, uh, like around the Christmas time, new year's, I, I put down my ghost book because I just 
struggled. I don't, and I, I think what it was is I had foggy head and I was throwing too many things in there to see what would solve it. And then it became a jumbled mess and I could sense that. And I was like, all right, putting it aside. And then I, I decided to pick up a whole new project and I wrote 40,000 words of a dystopian, uh, well, post-apocalyptic dystopian, but um, optimistic local government <laughs> kind of political story. And then I had, and by the time that people are hearing this, they will have already heard the paranormal investigations episode that will come out in July. And um, just talking to him and hearing like how he walks you through paranormal investigations rewoke and almost like cleared the fog in my brain for the ghost book. So now I'm back in the ghost book. I'm 50,000 words in there, which I which I consider is a, a great milestone. Um, and now it's just a matter of like just getting everything aligned with where I, where I see it. And I see the characters. I see where everything's going. It's so relieving to have that clarity. And um, I look forward to my favorite part, actually, is when the first draft is done and I get the edit uh, sheet from my agent because... I feel like that even further clarifies what's going on and I get like a fresh wave of um, uh, excitement. And so I'm jealous that you're in that. That's actually, I love that. Maybe I'm a better reviser than drafter, but um, yeah, that's where I am now. Yeah, I used to hate edits. I just, I, I, I was always like, I just work. I spent so much time on this. I just want to be done. Mm -hmm. Even though rationally, I know that, you know, it's a first draft and it's going to be messy and you know, it, it absolutely needs to be. So there's no, especially with the way I write, uh, you know, we've talked before, I think about how I, I tend to not do a whole lot of outlining or not very, not very extensive. Uh, mm -hmm. So there inevitably ends up being things where I'm like, okay, this was clearly a part where I had an idea hit me right in the middle. And now I have to kind of go back and make it look like I knew what I was doing the whole time. <laughs> Does your agent give you like uh, a sheet of edit, re like revision requests, like where it's kind of more conceptual, like not getting down into the weeds of any sentence structures or anything like that, correct? Yeah, not usually very big uh, like line edits, but uh, so the, uh, my most recent meeting, he had actually had um, uh, his assistant uh, had read, uh, had read through it and was offering some of her thoughts uh, which was really great because I had already, he had already read, uh, he had already read through it once. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, you know, got his feedback and then I went through and did another larger overhaul uh, and then got a different perspective, uh, which was really cool to hear somebody else talk about it because, you know, I already kind of knew uh, what my agent thought about a lot of it. Uh, knew kind of where he stood so to get the different perspective uh which is really which is really useful because i think uh, even if you don't end up uh you know they always say you know with with when you're receiving feedback you want to check and make sure that you're not just taking it and that you consider it and you you take it or leave it like whatever works for you because you don't want to compromise your vision but you also want to have an open mind about how you can make your book better because that's ultimately yeah. what that's ultimately what they want to do uh so it is interesting to get these different pieces and thoughts and kind of look at them from all different angles and think, well, like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this, but they have a point about this. And so I could do this instead. And that it's, it's very cool to, it's a cool process to be able to just take, take the way someone sees it and use it however you can to just make your book better.
Absolutely. And I think for people listening that may not have an agent yet or aspire to, or maybe they're trying to decide if they want to go in the direction of traditional, and maybe a, a concern is I want to be able to maintain complete control of my book. And I'm a little worried about the idea that someone else is going to be telling me what I need to change in order to be able to qualify. What I found the reality to be, and I first learned this with Leslie Henson, who was our, our shared editor, basically, and then later down the road from my agent, is that the kind of feedback you tend to get isn't like they're going in and telling you, you absolutely have to change. What they do is they go, I, I noticed that this character um, ends up over here or this arc doesn't feel complete. What can we do to, to, you know, to accomplish a certain goal? And then there is room for you as the writer to say, oh, that's interesting that that, that kind of hole exists. Okay. Now what would I do to fill that, to be able to fulfill the goal that the, my agent gave me? Do you have that same experience? Yeah, I think a lot of it just has to do with tempering that knee-jerk reaction to say no. Mm. Uh, because, you know, it, when we've spent so much time with a story and characters, it's all set in our head in a specific way. And I, I think that it's a little hard to, it's a little hard for us to think there's something that still has to be changed. Mm. You know, because it's so static in our heads. We've, you know, we've pictured it such a way so many times. We read it over and over and to think, oh man, do I really have to change more of it or does this have to go away? Um, uh, but, you know, the the tempering that reaction doesn't automatically mean, you know, you should be saying, you should be agreeing with everything. You know, you do ultimately have to sit with it for a while. I remember when I got with, so with the current book, I had gotten an editorial letter and before we actually sat down and talked about it, I sat with the I sat with the edits for like a week or something like that and just kind of thought them over and, uh, you know, decided, well, yes, I think this is a good point or no, I don't really want to go in this direction and, you know, wrote down some of my own thoughts kind of in response. Uh, so that was great because it was just a chance to actually absorb it. And, you know, there's no pressure to, uh, you know, give an answer right away. And that was, that was really a lot of theme was that, you know, oh, there's no pressure on this. You know, these are just these are just our thoughts. You know, this is this is how we think that it can be better. And you and you do with it. You do with it what you will. You just take time to think on it and 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 then uh, just roll with it. Mm -hmm. The first time I got an edit letter was probably the most eye opening experience for this. Right when we first get our agent and when we get th those notes. Did you find that your subsequent like that learning experience and that process did that affect? when you started writing your first draft of your subsequent work, because it did for me, I found myself trying to anticipate what those things would be to try to save time, but it's, it's hard to do that. So anyway, like how did it affect you for future work? It, it absolutely affected me, especially even before my age and just with Leslie, uh, a lot, and some of some, a lot of it was good because, uh, especially the way, uh, she had me looking at, you know, Oh, way to, don't use passive voice uh, and stuff like that. Be more active and uh, be more aware of uh, I don't know what was another thing. Uh, how much you how much stage direction you're giving, you know, mm, okay. like over, over describing actions or whatever. Just some things that which is good for a first draft because a lot of times I, I find that uh, a lot of my first drafts I don't have as much issue with uh, stuff like active voice. I feel like I gotten pretty good. And making sure I stay in active voice for 
a lot of parts, but there are some times where I am sort of editing as I go, which is a really hard switch to turn off. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if I've already been, if I've already been editing something that kind of happened with, uh, you know, I had done my first round of edits for this fantasy book and then I started writing another one, uh, late last year. And as I was writing the first draft, I kept kind of in my head being like, oh, well, like this, 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 and this, and I'm having all these lights going off in my head because I was already in editing mode. And, yeah. uh, so I definitely do think that, uh, you do kind of look at your first draft a little differently because you're you're just it's just such a hard switch to turn off from editing to just you just gotta write it you yes, just you gotta get it on the paper much. like I wish I didn't know so much right like I I miss the naivete of like your first time going through the process you don't know you don't know what's ahead of you but it's oh, so yeah. freeing I kind of wish I could find that again absolutely all right, so let's do an icebreaker. I have three questions for you and then we'll segue into our topic of redemption. So these are pretty easy. I um, decided to kind of go light on you. So what is your favorite holiday and why? Oh, man. Oh. Uh... Uh, I don't know. That's a hard one. I, I do like, uh... I guess I do kind of like uh, 4th of July. Uh, not necessarily because I'm a super patriotic person, but it's just, I don't know, there's usually a lot of cool things going on. You get to eat barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, I do really like, uh, as far as food goes, uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, for those Jews out there, hey uh, mm-hmm. the food for Rosh Hashanah in the fall uh, is just magnificent. You get brisket, uh, you get challah bread, that's the good stuff. Nice. That's awesome. I, I participated in some holidays. My stepmom is Jewish and she's invited me to, there's a uh, event at her um, synagogue, correct? Where you, we all made challah bread together. Yes. That, okay. Yep. Yes. Yep. And you, you need it for a really long time by hand. And we're all at the tables in the bowl with the, our own individual bowls. And then you can decide how to customize the bread. I had so much fun. It's such a great communal experience. You really do have to need that bread for a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a workout. You're sore the next day. <laughs> okay. Finish the sentence. It's not summer without. Bathing suits. Okay. And if someone were to consider you a villain, only because we're talking about redemptions here, who would it be and why? Why would you be, why would you be their villain? Uh, the cat, because I'm trying to put flea medicine on her. Aww. So is there a, do you have a redeemable storyline? I gave her treats afterward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, redemption is a specific kind of character arc. So let's unpack what a standard journey would look like. So this is for our writers out there who want to work a redemption story. Do you just at the very end of the story decide, hey, you know what? I'm just going to make my villain do something good and now everything's better. Is that the approach or do you do something else? What are your thoughts? What's the template? I mean, some people think that they can do that. <laughs> uh, I've definitely seen that before. But uh, no, usually uh, your character, uh, I mean, your character, the 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 arc itself usually start because that arc come anytime for the character. I mean, sometimes you have a character who's good and that is not so good, or maybe they weren't, they didn't start good. Either way, it's a character who has previously done something wrong 
or they've hit rock bottom or they're just not considered they're, they're considered evil or just not a good person overall um like you know they could just be the straight up bad guy or maybe they're a fallen from grace good guy something like that that's that's usually wherever you might consider the starting point of the arc itself mm-hmm. uh, maybe they've got a sympathetic backstory or you know there's something in there that makes people you know Maybe they don't like them, but they're interested in them. At least they're invested in them. Uh, certainly, if they're a good character uh, that falls from grace, you're 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 obviously kind of rooting for them from the outset because you're just like, wait, wait, you were you used to be good. Well, what happened? Uh, but then, if you have someone who's bad, starts bad, you know, you, they're introduced to you and they're bad, then that that might uh, someone might not know right away that they want them that they like them or that they want them to become good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it seems like there has to be enough because eventually they're going to make a transition, right? There's going to be an obstacle or there's some moral shift to inspire yeah. the change at the end. So there has to be room for that at least planned, I guess you can yeah. say. So that makes sense. Yeah. At least some, at some point they're going to have some kind of uh, internal conflict uh whatever spark you know either they always had it or maybe they didn't have it before but something happens that makes them start to kind of question themselves and their situation they reconsider who they are or what they've done and then maybe they start taking small steps toward the path of redemption uh you know which can take can take many different forms. Maybe they do it on their own. Maybe there's another quote unquote good character that's kind of leading them in that direction or is inspiring them with, you know, their opposite perspectives uh, that starts to make them go toward the light as it were. So then what are some examples of redemption of redemption in speculative fiction? So one of my favorites, uh, and I think anyone listening uh, who is a diehard redemption fan is probably thinking about this already. Prince Zuko from Avatar: The Last Airbender mm-hmm. um, is widely considered one of the best redemption arcs in re- really of all time, I think. And I and I have to agree with them. Uh, have you Have you watched uh, Last Airbender? I la- I watched The Last Airbender ten years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So I remember mm-hmm. that it happened. And I yeah. don't remember the details. It's but been yes. a while. Doesn't yeah. he like become like a grunge boy for a little while? Like his hair down. <laughs> yeah. He d- transition. Yeah, he does have that. Well, I mean, so when you meet him, uh, like the very first episode, he's just this kind of hot-headed, angry 16-year-old. He's got a big red scar over one eye because, of course, you know, uh physical malformation obviously screams bad guy. Uh and he's out hunting for the avatar, the main character. So, like right there, it's just like, all right bad guy antagonist we we got it um but really pretty quickly uh we we kind of learn more about him and start to start to be a little more sympathetic toward him we learn that he's been banished by his father uh and that the scar on his face is actually from his father Mm. uh and he's out looking for the avatar to redeem himself so he can go home uh and you know, and all that time, like we're learning that and he's still doing bad things. He's still, you know, trying to capture the avatar. He's scaring and hurting innocent people and, you know, 
scaring and hurting the avatar uh, uh, ang's friends and all this stuff so he's not doing good things uh and then you know he eventually kind of breaks away from the fire nation and he's he's kind of on his own with his uncle and he's sort of struggling with he's like kind of a he's kind of a nowhere man like he's got nowhere to he's got nowhere to go he's not he can't go back home but he's also not a good guy yet Mm-hmm. And he's a lot of stumbles and falls. I mean, he ends up, it looks at one point like he's really about to turn good. Like he's really going to finally turn that page and close the book on it all. And he just completely and totally drops the ball uh, at the last moment. And so then when the final season starts, that's when he's really kind of realized like, man, I really messed up. I really don't belong here. This is not where I go. Uh, and then he finally makes the turn. But the brilliant thing is that when he does decide to join the avatar, not everybody is all about it. They are very understandably cautious. They're like, this guy has been terrorizing us for, you know, now three seasons. Why are we going to trust him? Mm-hmm. So he, they spend a couple episodes where he spends with each of like the main three characters, uh, you know, focusing on his relationship with each of them and kind of building their trust, which I think was a really brilliant way of doing it. It's like they took the time to actually get the characters to trust him. And like, they weren't just on the outset, like, Oh yeah, like totally. We like, we get you now because I mean, it is, it is more of a children's show. So they very easily could have kind of copped out on that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind but, of like my little pony has lots of redemptions, but it's like a fast redemption. Whereas mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you can argue that maybe it's not always the case, but I always feel like it's always like, Oh, everything's great now. Um, when you're talking about like really small audiences versus something here where they, they explore the nuances of that transition. Right. Right. Interesting. I what's okay. I can make any connection back to Xena warrior princess, basically. I knew you were going to do it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> no, you're fine. Cause the story you just explained um, with the redemption and the father being the evil one and the, the son trying to like get his approval essentially and eventually turning up by the influences of the good guys. That is so season one, episode two of Xena. And I'm only knowing this so freshly because I bought the, all the DVDs recently and my daughter and I are rewatching the whole thing right now. So um, it's the same exact storyline. And I honestly think that if writers want to get like, a, I don't know, like a textbook example of all the different story arcs and all the plots and all the character developments, you could pick up Xena, Warrior Princess and and Hercules, the legendary journeys, because I feel like a lot of storylines I see today, I'm like, oh, that's familiar to me because I already saw that get explored in those shows. So um, it's the same idea. There's a warlord who is in charge of like destroying villages and he doesn't actually want to do it. What I think is fun is that just like how Zuko has built in insecurities that um, can be used to leverage either to go evil or good. So does this character. He's very insecure. He doesn't seem to match like the rest of the warlords. You find out his father is incredibly overbearing and is the one pressuring him to do all these things. And because the, the, the main warlord, I guess, is like so vulnerable he's primed for influence now by the main characters who are going to be like hey you know you don't need to do this you can change and then what ends up happening is that warlord defends the village from his evil father and he kind of finds redemption that way okay it's just the beginning now um see what you're going to do with your new life are you going to continue down this road i always think it's interesting then for xena she represents what happens when you've made that commitment to because she used to be an evil evil villain she used to like 
kill lots of people over like the years leading up to when the show began. And so now that she's made the commitment for redemption, it's not an easy, okay, you're, you're cool. Now we're, we're all fine with you, you know, just like what you're mentioning with Zuko. So for her, she spends six seasons trying to prove it to everybody that she's a better person and lots of people, you know, kind of need to be convinced and in many times she gets pulled and kind of seduced by her dark past. And it's like each and every time can she overcome that to, to prove that the redemption was meaningful. So anyway, oh, Zena. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really hoping that you were going to go for that. Uh, when I saw the question, I realized, oh, Zena is going to come up. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, so <laughs> I was deciding where I had this. I had this realization about this particular movie that it is basically three redemption arcs in one movie. And I was really debating whether to bring it up or not, or where to bring it up. But I think I have to just because people are going to scratch their heads and go, what? Mm -hmm. Spider-Man three, which I know is not the most beloved Spider-Man movie. That's where he has... gets emo, right? Yeah. And dances around it, it, at the club. Yeah. Okay. It is. All right. It has three different redemption arcs. And I'm not saying they're not, I'm not telling you that they're the most expertly written. Okay. But there are three of them. Okay, Peter, I'm going to refresh my memory. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is Sandman in this one? That is Sandman, yes. Is he one of them? Yes. Okay, okay. That's the only one I remember. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So so you have Peter, who, you know, starts the, I mean, his is kind of like the, the one that's self-contained to this movie, because he starts the... You know, it's a little bit like a tragic hero sort of thing where he starts off like on top of the world. Uh, you know, he's going to get married to MJ or whatever. And then all of a sudden his all at once, his life seems to start crashing down. And then at that same time is when he gets the black suit and he starts thinking like, oh, the power of this is going to solve all my problems. And he just becomes a complete and total a-hole, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and like he ultimately has a point where he realizes like like uh, that he's been an a-hole. And I mean, not just to the people in his life, but when he actually goes after Sandman at one point and thinks he kills him, he's like, yeah, I killed him. And his aunt was like, when his aunt, he's telling, oh, his aunt, like, oh, Spider-Man killed Sandman. And she's like, well, that's not right. Spider-Man doesn't kill people. And he's like, oh, mm. oh I, I am. Uh, and he, you know, by the end of the movie, he kind of has to, you know, he, that's when he has to get rid of the black suit because he realizes, you know, what the power is doing to him it's like oh this was going to give me the power to solve all my problems and all it did was make things worse uh and he ultimately has to get rid of it and even when he does like it sort of comes back to bite him in the ass because then eddie brock turns into venom and ends up being like the big bad of the movie mm -hmm. uh and then you have the second one which is harry osborn because he's had this slow descent across you know all these films you know where he started off being peter's best friend and then he hates Spider-Man because he thinks Spider-Man killed his father. Mm -hmm. And then he finds out Peter is Spider-Man. And then like the movie starts off with him being like, all right, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to kill Peter. Like, that's it. Uh, and he spends like the whole movie plotting Peter's, you know, downfall by like ruining his life. And, you know, at the end of the movie, he kind of uh, reaches this point where, you know, he, you know, he ends up realizing that Peter did not actually, you know, kill his father. Uh, and he has to kind of reject his father's whole, you know, this mental hole that his father's legacy has on him and goes to help Peter uh, when he's, you know, caught between Venom and Sandman. And then with Sandman, Sandman starts out like as the villain, you know, he is not, mm -hmm. he is doing bad things. I mean, we find out he's 
doing bad things for a personal reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he killed Uncle Ben. You know, he shot and killed Uncle Ben. And, you know, that's the whole reason we have Spider-Man in the first place. And the movie ends with him finally apologizing to Peter. Like, he comes up to Peter and he's just like, I you know, I didn't mean to kill your uncle. Like, but I did. You know, that was on me. And, like, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and in a way, Peter's arc also kind of concludes because he actually you know, ends up saying, I forgive you to Sandman uh, mm. for doing that. So, you know, it's not the, like I said, it is not the best written redemption arcs because uh, it's not the greatest written movie ever. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of, I mean, I do like Spider-Man 3, but it's got a lot of problems and I know everybody will agree with that. But I just thought it was fascinating that we had three different types of redemption arcs all tied into one film and they all inter- are intertwined with each other. I, re- I remember when Sandman first becomes Sandman and he's in the container. I forget where he's where he is, a box or something, and he can't hold form yet. And he sees the picture of his daughter, right? And he goes to read, he picks, tries to pick it up and it just falls through his sand. And that's when you realize that he's, it's like, it's kind of like a done deal. There's no going back. This is the reality now. And you can't even hold the photo. Is my memory serving me right? That's yeah, yeah, me. yeah. Okay. I mean, and they did do the thing with him where, like, they made him, you know, pretty sympathetic. That uh, his daughter is sick and he's trying to get mm. medicine for her, and it's like, and it's that's kind of the classic scenario. It's like, okay, I mean, he's he's not doing good things. Like, he's done bad things, but you know, he's you know, he has a reason for it, and like, you know, like whether or not, uh, you know, he's deserving of redemption. It's like, well, that's, you know, he still has the motivation at least is something that, you know, everyone can appreciate. He's doing something for someone he loves. That's a really good segue for the, my next question. Cause it goes into like the characteristics that are important to have when developing this character. Cause I can't think like, there are so many times where a villain, even like kids movies, you know, or teen movies or, you know, regular adult movies where you find out you have a villain and then you find like they're, they're awful. They run this mob they they're in charge of this crime organization and then they want to humanize the character. So then you find out that their mom is sick or, you know, they, that they had a wife that they lost. And so I always wonder, is that enough to leverage for a redemption story where the, does the atonement fit the crime in the end? Like, is it enough to start with? What are your thoughts when, when you're building a character and you want to make sure it's a meaningful enough humanization to make a true redemption by the end? I mean, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with trying to humanize the villain a little bit because, you know, I mean, you know, two dimensional villains can be great cannon fodder for like an action movie or something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, we don't need, they can just be a jerk. We don't, we don't need to sympathize with them. They can just be, they can just be evil. Uh, Like, I don't like John Wick. It's like, look, they killed his dog. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't need to sympathize with them. Like they killed his dog. Just let me let me hate them and mm-hmm. root for root for them to die. Um, but like, I don't know. I'm thinking of something like, like Thanos, uh, like where he's, you know, he's given like this whole backstory and we learn why he's doing what he's doing. Like, I wouldn't say that makes him worthy of redemption necessarily. Cause he does some, he commits genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like, I do think it, it, you know, it, it is good to give them some depth sometimes, uh, especially since uh you know usually what they're doing like comes into complete opposition of whatever the hero stands for is trying to accomplish and then you get these two this these two ideas kind of clashing with each other and it gets all messy uh but usually with if you're trying to redeem them 
the character's got to have something at some point that makes you like rooting for that to happen or at least kind of makes you realize it's like okay well they're not good but like i don't really want them to die or like i want mm. to see where they go uh you know and, and that could be that could be anything i mean maybe they're uh you know maybe there's something that like it could be something that makes them sympathetic you know kind of like you said like oh their wife died like i don't like mr freeze like mr freeze's wife like was ill and like he had cryogenically freezes her which like which makes him a bit more sympathetic than most batman villains because you know everybody else is just kind of out to be like i want to kill batman and <laughs> mr freeze is kind of like like i only want to kill batman if he gets in the way of saving my wife um but then there could be something like i don't know like if they've been poisoned mentally by the influence of someone else uh like or uh or or another great way is uh to is if you have someone else who is like the big bad uh and the redemptive character is kind of secondary so like for example you have zuko going back to zuko but the big bad of the series is the fire lord his father Mm -hmm. who is just uncompromisingly evil and you also have his sister azula who is sadistic and just enjoys inflicting pain on others so you have those two characters who when you put them next to zuko it's like okay well he's done some bad things but he's not like that he doesn't like he's not this sadistic uh person who takes like laughs and glee when he hurts and kills others and he's not this ruthless warlord that has that is unfeeling so when you have them stacked up next to others it can make it a little easier for uh, people to be like oh like like well like compared to them they're they're not as bad and especially if you push them a little more and like they start kind of pulling away from the big bads and start to realize the error of their ways i think that makes it a little more makes them a little more palatable by comparison i'm gonna c- compare two characters in the redemption arcs and sure. i'm curious to hear your thoughts based off of their effectiveness. And so I'm going to go ahead and break it. We're about half an hour into our conversation. I'm going to bring up Kylo Ren (laughs) from the stars. I'm going to pop the champagne. (laughs) So um, his redemption was anticipated by a lot of people, or at least kind of guessed, right? Before the third movie came out, I remember there's a ton of people who are big Raylo fans and they're like, Ben is going to get redeemed. This whole thing's a redemption story. So it was, it's, we're kind of in along the, the lines of, people have time and resources now to cherry pick every little thing and talk about it online. And they make these predictions. Then you have Snape from Harry Potter, who was kind of properly hated until you find out in the book that it's relevant, that he actually was helping Dumbledore. And then there's like the thing where he loved Lily and he risked his life. He basically died protecting Harry. So One is a redemption that people were able to anticipate. It seemed like everything was kind of spelled out. The other one was considered surprising. What do you think of those two redemption styles? And do you think Snape was properly redeemed by his actions? Or is he just an awful person who had a fleeting moment of goodness? Um, A little more. I mean, I don't think... I think the problem with Snape's... Not the problem. I think the thing with Snape's redemption is less how he was written and more how people interpret it like i think a lot of people are like oh like well snape is good now it's like well not not 
really. I like I like I think he he ultimately I mean he's a very complex character. He's kind of a tragic character. Uh these are these are true. Uh and I do think like yes, he does have you know, it, it's a weird kind of thing because it, it's not like he had a uh his transition for redemption was really that like it was all in the background all the time. Like we were always kind of guessing in his allegiance. So it was really one big mystery the whole time. Uh, we were never really sure. Like every time we thought he was going one way, you know, and then like, you know, it's doubled down at the end of the sixth book when he kills Dumbledore. So it's like, well, how could he possibly mm-hmm. uh, be good? And then like, you know, the whole, you know, you have the whole, uh, the whole, uh, what is it? Uh, the, the memories uh, in the, oh, at the yes. end of the seventh book. Uh, I know that I'm, I can't remember the name for it. I know someone is screaming it right now as they're listening, <laughs> but it's been, it's been too long uh, since I watched or Sorry. Read. Yeah. Sorry, but, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but he, uh, but he's not a good person. He's just not, he's not a good person. He was, he was helping. He was a death eater. Uh, and like, even when he stopped, he was being a death eater because he wanted to get with this one girl who was with a guy that he hated. Uh, and he, uh, and he was, and even when he like, you know, finally realized that, oh, I, I, she died or whatever. He was like only really sad when she died. Yeah. And then, and then also, and then like, even when he was like doing all the stuff with Dumbledore and was being an agent, like he was still being a really crappy person. He was mm-hmm. bullying students. He bullied Harry his whole time. The whole time he was an 11 year old kid and he was bullying him just because he was James's son. Uh, like, and he was all like, Oh, like, and I think, and especially cause he always kept saying how much, uh harry was like his father which i really don't think uh harry was that much like james apart from like the you know the the dueling heroic bits or whatever Mm -hmm. and like anytime he was ever like james it was only because like snape saw what he wanted to see or he kept saying it so much that it became self-fulfilling prophecy so it's the kind of thing where i think he ultimately does pay the ultimate sacrifice uh and I think that was a worthy end to his story. Uh, and I think it's a it's a good, I think it's a good story for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's a good person. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, do, you like he's, Harry, he, yeah. do you he deserving of that name? The Harry? No, abs- absolutely. No, 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 and no. He should never <laughs> have been named. That's, that's the thing. He should never have been named, like, especially, like, God, like, he named him after... Dumbledore and Snape who both were all scheming and conniving the whole book why like you didn't want to give one of them like like okay what like I think he named one of them James uh because that was his dad mm-hmm. couldn't someone have gotten the middle name Hagrid yeah Hagrid, Hagrid was like the only adult one of the few adult figures who actually had no ulterior motives with Harry and like only cared about looking out for him had rescued him when he was a baby but no we name him after Snape, who, like, yes, paid a large sacrifice with his life and spent his whole life, you know, in Dumbledore's service trying to, you know, make sure that everything came all, all right with Voldemort. But, like, we're going to name your kid after him? Mm, oh, come on. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, then, okay. What, so what, how, do you, how is that compared to Kylo Ren? So Kylo Ren, uh, and there's a little bit of the same where, uh, like, there's a will he, won't he, uh, 
because like they keep doubling. They kind of it's the same thing with like when Snape killed Dumbledore. He keeps doubling down on it throughout the whole sequel trilogy. Because at first it's like he kills Han, and then in the second movie when uh, they kill he kills Snoke, and you think, oh well, like well, when Vader killed Palpatine, that's when that's when he turned. But instead, they kind of turn that around and be like, oh, now I'm the leader of the First Order. It's like, wait, wait, no, that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, he tries to kill Luke, even though like, you know, Luke wasn't actually there. He tricked him. And yeah. And then he like uh, pledges his service to Palpatine and, you know, does all this stuff. And then he kind of just has this weird moment where he talks to the ghost of his dead dad that he killed. And <laughs> he's then, a sad boy. He's a very he's sad, a sad emo boy. It's just, it's just that, uh, I mean, like, and, and so much of it, so much of my critique for how it went down with him ties into like Vader's redemption. Cause you know, that they were trying to mirror that uh, in a way. Uh, Cause his whole, a lot of his character is a bit of a commentary on, on Vader uh, or like <laughs> revering the wrong part of Vader, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, I don't know. It just does. They kind of tried to do the same thing and it just didn't work. For his character it was just i think that kylo ren either should have died unredeemed he just should have died unredeemed bad guy or he should have lived and like been working on like redemption mm, uh, it should have like been one thing. Yeah, kind of yeah like he didn't like he just he just should have uh, like as it stands he just got to be good for i don't even know it was maybe like 10 minutes of the movie uh and then he just kind of pieced out and died and like it's but like and, and and i mean and we can talk about vader a little later i have my own thoughts on that and why it's not the same uh but like it i don't know it just i think it should have been yeah should have either died unredeemed or should have lived and been working towards redemption so then jumping off of both of those in today's climate of mass speculation online it seems like someone always has figured out whether or not a character is supposed to be redeemed. And of course, this the redemption point is supposed to be a twist or like a big climactic part of the story. So maybe we don't necessarily want that to be so obvious or be revealed beforehand. But can a redemption arc be a surprise? Is it possible to surprise people now? Yes, um, I think, I mean, you know, as long as, I mean, there is, I mean, I don't know if uh, a surprise is in doing it last minute, like Kylo Ren. No, that's not good. Uh, but it can be surprises in like we, you know, as opposed to Zuko, who we get we sympathize with pretty quickly. Uh, someone like Jamie Lannister, mm. who like let's now I know like people don't like the way his story ended, but how he got there. I mean, he starts off. I mean, okay, first he's Cersei's brother. He's this arrogant prince, charming looking pretty boy. He's called the King Slayer. He pushes Bran Stark out of a window in the first episode of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that like attempted child murderer kind of makes you already a pretty rough target. Yeah. Um, and then he spends, you know, he tries to, he like tries to kill Ned at one point. And then, uh, you know, in season two, he's a prisoner, but he's just such a pain in the ass the whole time. Uh, and I think that people were just like, ah, he's just this, like, he's just such a prick. Uh, <laughs> like, why? <laughs> and he's and like, and he's Cersei's brother. So like, and they're like, they're, they're a weird incestuous couple. Like why? I, I, I don't like him. 
But then in season three, he gets his hand chopped off and he's kind of humbled for a while because now it's like, oh, well, I used to be the best swordsman in Westeros and now now I'm not. Uh, and he slowly over time kind of... And, and then especially the, one of the key scenes is when he's in the Beth with Brienne and he kind of actually digs into why he killed uh, the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like he actually was trying to save people because the king was going to burn down king's landing but it's like nobody else sees it that way and it kind of turns it's a really really interesting moment because up until now everyone's been calling him kingslayer and especially like ned stark really looked down on him because he's so honorable and was like he murdered the king that's you know that makes you dishonorable but it's like oh like no from his perspective and i think it's kind of understandable it's like he he really thought that he was saving people uh by murdering the king because the king had gone mad and wanted to burn down King's Landing. So her, his perspective, he's, he's like kind of the unsung hero. He's like, I saved however many lives and all anyone can do is point fingers at me and call me Kingslayer. It's like, oh, you know, he's, he's kind of got a point. Like, like as much bad stuff as he's done, I don't know that that's necessarily one of them. Mm. It's, it's because it's like the thing that he's across the whole country the thing he's worst known for because nobody else really knows about uh the incest like some people suspect but it's not mm-hmm. widely known and like you know him being an asshole it's like okay well whatever that's just how he is but kingslayer that's the thing everybody knows him for that's what he's chiefly like you know despised for but that's actually probably the least despisable thing about him that's a really uh, good so point I, yeah so like we're we're kind of associating this evilness with him based off of what what people have i don't want to say manifested because <laughs> he's done violent things and pushed a kid out the window but society has an opinion on incestuous uh, relationships and then you have the fact that nobody really knows the truth behind the murder of the king uh that's really so do you think that changes expectations on whether or not he is redeemable or is even kind of on the redeemable path I mean, I think just the fact that they went and made him a bit more uh, sympathetic already kind of start. Like, I don't know if everyone thought that he was going to go down that road, um, but at the very least, it made him a little more like, oh, maybe he's not as much of a uh, as much of a jerk as I thought he was. Like, maybe there's a little more there. And then, like, very sl- and this is one of the advantages with like a TV show as opposed to a film. Like, you just get more time to develop your characters, and so his transformation is more gradual. Mm, okay. uh, as we see him kind of start to doubt uh like especially like when he starts hearing some of the stuff that Cersei's pulling he's just like what like, I, I don't know if i want to be a part of this mm-hmm. and we're just going to ignore kind of like how what he ends up doing ultimately but he does you know he does decide to go fight uh the army of the dead uh like against his sister's wishes uh because that's what a knight of the seven kingdoms would do so then I'm looking at the clock. So for the interest of time, I'm going to merge the next two questions. So has there been a character yeah. that was redeemed? Let me try that again. Has there been a character that was redeemed, but you thought they didn't deserve it? And is there a character that should have been redeemed, but wasn't? Well, we already kind of talked about Kylo Ren, and that was kind of my pick for like, he did not deserve to be redeemed. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, and I had thought about like his similarities to vader and stuff uh which i don't know if we have enough time to go into that um 
summarize maybe? But, Can you uh, basically, basically the fact that like, uh, you know, I think Vader's arc was very different because we saw like the rise and the fall. We saw him at all. I mean, it's just the fact that he's at two completely different spectrums of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, there's debate that can be had about whether Anakin deserved to become a force ghost because he murdered children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like there's debate about that, but as opposed to like how his arc ended, like him throwing Palpatine down and dying, like I thought that was fitting for him, like in in, in the way like, you know, force ghost, debatable, but as far as like the way it ended for him, it's like, yeah, like everyone really thought he was just so far gone uh, and uh, all except Luke. Uh, and I will also say in some of the expanded books, uh, the point of view on that is expanded on with Leia a bit and her perspective on Vader, which uh, I think I might actually talk about that uh, in the last, in the last question, but anyway, and then character who deserved a redemption, Draco Malfoy. Oh yes. I meant to ask that. Like I just remembered he didn't have one. No, he didn't get anything. And and like, I'm going to say this right now. He's not a good kid. He's, he's like a Hitler youth his father was a death eater. He's a rich snob. He's a bully. He throws out slurs like they're candy. He joins the death eaters. Uh, but in the whole six book, you can see he's scared the whole time. And like, mm-hmm. and like you realize he actually is just a kid uh, and he can't bring himself to kill Dumbledore. And, you know, the whole time he's just kind of realizing, man, I'm way in over my head, but they never, it, it never goes further than that. It, mm-hmm. They all, they just, he kind of is just there and he's doing bad things and he's conflicted about it. And then he's just done. Like the only thing we really get is his mother. Uh, like, you know, like when they thought Harry was dead and like his mother has to go see if Harry's dead and she realizes he's alive, but she protects him. And there's the whole mother's love protecting him parallel, yada, yada. Like, okay, get that. But Draco himself never gets to do anything. And like he, it didn't even have to be big. Uh, like they could, I think there was a deleted scene in the final movie where like after like when they think Harry's dead and then Harry reveals that he's alive, I think Draco, like there's a deleted scene of Draco tossing him his wand. Oh, and it's like, and it's like, that's a very, very small detail, but that would have been enough to be like, Oh, like Draco's like not about Voldemort anymore, but he never gets to do that. But they still show him in the epilogue being, Oh, there's Draco with his kids. Like, and what, and what, like, what, like that's supposed to be cute. Like if he, if he had gotten to do, something just one small thing that was a nod to this is not what i had in mind and like i I really didn't want any of this like they didn't have to make him do like i'm so sorry for everything i said to you and i didn't mean to be such a point like you just give him one thing to do that would have been like oh yeah like he realizes he, he admits to harry in some small way this is messed up you know what I would have loved instead of Harry Potter and the Lost Child or whatever that was? I it. <laughs> I, it would have been great. And HBO is doing a redo, right? Of Harry Potter. Ugh, I don't yeah. know if that's actually going to work. What I would rather see. <laughs> I mean, I am curious to see how they would do that. But what I would rather see is a Draco Malfoy series that takes place directly after the events of the Deathly Hollows, where he has to kind of explore this new world where his foundation's been completely rocked. He's kind of living in shame. His family's a disgrace. He um, is forever feels like he's indebted to the boy that he treated like shit forever. And maybe his redemption could be unfolded that way but he's back he's in this world where where you know he like you said he he's a nazi kid 
But now the world, like he doesn't have that foundation anymore to support his awful way. So does he have it in himself to kind of grow from there? Like, I would love to see that. I'm sure there's a fan fiction out there that probably answers all that for you. <laughs> I think you're right. Okay. And then can a redemption be part of an unhappy ending? Because it seems like the idea is, oh, uh, he did something good. It's happy. But can it be unhappy? Can it be unhappy? Um, yes. You mean like they get redeemed, but they still like die or something like that? Yeah, like the and outcome like, was still sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely can happen. I'm struggling to to come up with one. Uh I, well, but, maybe I mean, it's how I, I mean, everybody feels yeah, at the end of Star Wars. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, ultimately, like, yeah, like, I think a lot of redemption arcs, like, do not. I mean, I think a lot of them don't really end that happily. I mean, if you're looking at Vader or Snape or, uh, or like, uh, this is a very brief one, but like at the end of Spider-Man Two, like Doctor Octopus, like, realizes that he's about to blow up the city and, you know, tries to like stop it from happening. Uh, so. Uh, like which like i think that like and he still dies mm -hmm. uh uh like but that's, that's a tragic end for him because he had kind of the whole uh he kind of had the whole tragic movie monster thing going on in that particular depiction so i think he was pretty sympathetic and did bad things and then realized like kind of came to his senses and like had to sacrifice himself in order to stop it so i think yeah i think on a lot of cases uh you know redemption arcs like if not for the whole story then for that particular character uh it ends up being unhappy a lot of the time okay i'm gonna jump ahead to listener questions because we have a lot and i want to be able right. to dedicate i want to hear it okay hear it. all right i'm just gonna read them off exactly as i got them okay the first yeah. one is do you need a moral code to be redeemed uh i think you kind of have to have at least a little bit of one i mean i think it's a little hard to make someone like without any sort of morals but like if you're talking about like the joker or something like mm -hmm. that the joker can't be redeemed he just can't there just isn't and i think if you try that's it'd be weird know. right like it'd, it'd be weird and it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work i think they have to have it can be okay if they're like kind of disillusioned with morals or whatever but i think they have to have something they can kind of hold on to like there has to be like if there's like either a line they won't cross or a line that they do cross that makes them reconsider. Okay. So then in relation to that, do you need to believe in a higher power to be redeemed? Um, like maybe you have to do it because then you're going to go to hell. <laughs> like, I mean, I certainly think that that can be, I certainly think that that can be a thing. Uh, like if you're, if you're playing with religion, that can be, that can be a big, that can be a big part of it. Um, there's kind of an arc that's somewhat like that in uh, the Stormlight Archive books that I've talked about before. There's a character who is a main character, and just to summarize, he basically has no memory of the awful thing that he did. Like he had it wiped from his mind, and he can't remember it. But when he does remember it, uh, he like, you know, re-experiences the whole thing, and like uh, part of the way that led him to that was like trying to learn more about the almighty like which they refer to as god mm -hmm. uh like so i think that, like you know in some cases yeah that can, that can that can that can definitely be part of it is there anything or anyone who cannot be redeemed nazis 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't want to see any kind of, I mean, I think it's okay if you have like a, like I do remember reading one book where there was like a character who was, he was like a Hitler youth and he was the only one in their family that was like really kind of thinking, Oh, like this Hitler guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and then he very quickly realizes like, Oh, this, this isn't, this isn't right. Uh, but the thing with that is that like, he kind of figures it out pretty quickly and it's like, he already has his family like alienating him. Uh, so it's like, so I think he has an anchor for it, but if you're just talking about like, Oh, I'm going to, I don't know if, if it's like, I don't know uh, if it's a romance book and it's like a Nazi mm. is the romance lead and like, I don't yeah. know, or something like that. It's like, I don't, I don't want to see that. Please don't yeah. make me, please don't try to redeem the Nazi character, please. Next question. I have accidentally killed John Wick's dog. Is there any hope for me? Oh, uh, I, I think, I think that you should maybe either just pick out the coffin you want right now <laughs> or find the best person that money can buy that you think will maybe give you five more minutes protecting you from John Wick. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Is redemption a social construct or something that requires like social support or is it something that I can do myself? I definitely think social support is a large part of it. So if you want to talk about, uh, if you want to talk about something like like a real life example of someone who is a drug addict uh, or an alcoholic, and maybe they've hurt people, uh, I think that outside support is very much going to be a leg up because I mean whether it's going to like AA meetings or whether it's like seeing like therapists or going to clinics or whatever, that's the way that that's the way that people beat that, and it's not. It's not easy and it's it's really, really hard. And even when people go through things like that, they still end up sometimes relapsing and they kind of gotta and I think when they relapse, uh the way to the way to beat it is is with is with support. So that's that absolutely is the best one of the best ways that you can uh as far as real life redemption, uh, get yourself back on your feet. I like that you brought that up because one of the questions I, I skipped over was redemption in real life. So I'm glad we get a chance yes. to address it. I also think mm -hmm. like thinking back to Captain America, oh, the one with the Falcon and Captain America and the Winter Soldier, it, that, yeah. that one, <laughs> yeah. part of his like redemption, part of, oh God, uh, part of Winter Soldier's redemption. Bucky. Story, thank you. <laughs> Bucky's process was to actually... Uh, talk to the people that he've hurt he's he'd hurt and mm -hmm. apologize that's part of the process so i do feel like when you if your actions have hurt somebody um i think a part important part of that process is to acknowledge that to those who are you are able to reach out to um because that's part of the healing and almost like the the communal the communal healing as well and i i'm trying to remember if it's also part of if that was modeled after the aa um 12 steps program i feel like i feel like talking to people is one of those that is one of it and like talking to people that a lot of times uh i don't know if it's just in aa or like i think they do it in other a lot of other things too where they might have you write a letter to someone yes. and like and sometimes it's not even like not even like someone that you hurt really bad but like it's just as a way of processing it like if it was like oh like i uh I didn't want to hang out with you because I was uh, using drugs instead. And it's like, 
okay, that's not like as bad as say, I don't know, I, that's not like the worst thing someone can do to someone because that person might not even know that that was what was happening. But that is something that they do is like write the letters and like apologize. If I am a ghost, can I redeem myself for my actions done while alive? You may need someone living to help you out. I feel like that's usually the case. Okay. Do I have to be sorry about what I originally did to be redeemed for it? I think it would help. Because <laughs> if not, then it's a, it's a little hard for people to really buy into the... Uh, people might be expecting uh, like a double crossing kind of storyline instead otherwise. Uh, this one's kind of a, a word twister. I imagine it's the same person who submitted the last question. If I betrayed a friend to save someone... Can I redeem myself with my friend if I'm not sorry? Um, I don't know if they even understand that question. It, I don't even, I mean, I think it might have been kind of like, I did what I had to do, like, mm. and I don't regret it because uh, it was for, I don't know, it was for a good reason. And it's oh. like, ah, it, like that kind of thing. Yes, you know? like it was, I did, I, I did you wrong for a good reason. Therefore, uh, yeah, I don't need to be redeemed. Yeah. And it's like, ah, that's a little bit self righteous. Uh, that's overall uh like i'm sure that there are cases where yeah i can't think off the top of my head but uh stories of characters that like had to do something that hurt other people uh uh, to betray people and like or for a good thing and like maybe they have to get back into those people's good graces to do it but i did like certainly most redemption arcs someone's got to be sorry at some point like (laughs) like it just just like i think that's just a key part of it like however they say it or do it it like like happens at some point can truly evil characters ever be redeemed Uh, that really is the question isn't it and i think this is a good time to jump back onto the vader uh discussion uh so i mentioned before in some of the uh, star wars books and comics they dig in a little to leia's uh thoughts about vader there was a book called uh the princess and the scoundrel by uh, beth revis uh and it mostly focuses on han and leia like immediately following return of the jedi and a lot of the early part of that book is leia struggling with the fact that vader was her father uh and she just can't accept the idea that he was redeemed because so from luke's perspective i mean you know i mean vader was his father and he learns this and he learns this and he really thinks, I don't know. I think I can bring him back. Uh, I think I can bring him back to the good side. And he ultimately does. And, and he sees Anakin have this whole you know, last moment where he takes the mask off and becomes Anakin again uh, and, you know, and turned against his master that had manipulated him. And so in Luke's eyes, it's like, ah, like Anakin was redeemed. But in Leia's eyes, it's like, he was complicit in blowing up my planet. Yes, and that's killing, what I think too. And killing... And killing my, you know, my my adoptive parents, who for all intents and purposes were her real parents to her, mm-hmm. uh, and like he tortured her, like when they were on the Death Star, and he was just relentlessly pursuing her. He froze Han and Carbonite, and like all that, like, and she just can't accept that. There's a part where she, uh, she's like wandering through the forest, and she, so you know, Luke burns Vader's armor at the end of Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, and she finds his like twisted remains of his mask, and she like picks it up and is just like i will like never be you and like throws the mask away and it's like she cannot and she doesn't even want to like uh you know luke tries to tell her like oh you're you know we're uh 
you're also strong in the force. And she's like, I don't want to be because he was strong in the force too. And what if I end up like him? And she's just like, she cannot fathom the idea that Vader was ever redeemed because she did not get to witness the turn. And she just kind of is like, hey, look, if that's what you saw, then that's fine. Uh, but I just did not see it. And so she just, I th- and I think that kind of ties into a lot of different arcs. Like if you're writing one, it's just that uh, characters and maybe even your readers might not be able to accept that a person is fully turned. So including like characters that like uh, kind of question that redemption uh, like may help kind of make it an easier pill to swallow. Cause it's like, Oh, well, these characters think he's redeemed, but this one character doesn't and neither do I. So like it might make it a little easier knowing that not everybody is convinced that this character actually pulled a 180 uh, because it, there are just, it is true. Like it, and in, in real life as well, if care, if someone really did something bad, they might apologize, but they're not necessarily owed forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good point. And I completely forgot Leia's perspective. I would yeah. absolutely feel the way that she would feel, especially after the planet got obliterated. I highly recommend uh, the Princess and the Scoundrel audiobook. They have two different narrators, one for Han, one for Leia. They do an amazing job. Uh, and it's kind of like, a, you know, they get to dig into a lot of that stuff immediately following Return of the Jedi, but then they also get to have their wedding and honeymoon. And it's kind of like a little, it's a little like romantic uh, space adventure with the galaxy's favorite couple. Cute. Okay, final listener question. Does a character have to change for a good story? Uh, I'm not sure if the word like if the character has to change in order for the story to be good or yeah I I, I guess my takeaway is like do they have to be redeemed for to make the story good no I mean I think there are some characters like it's just like they're just they're just not good or they're just not meant to be redeemed and like that's just the way it's supposed to go like or maybe they're offered a chance uh to do it there's a there's a book uh the red rising series and there's a in the third book there's like a character that was like the main character's best friend and then uh there's a lot of like confronting people and because it's the third final volume of a tr- the original trilogy and it was kind of like a they basically give one guy this chance to like look uh you can just surrender and like we can go back to being friends and he's like no and he commits suicide uh and it's like well like he didn't want to do it like he didn't nope. want to see things like and that's just the way that's just the way it went for him like and it you know and like maybe it like but i don't think like that's necessary like that that's just the way some characters are like we don't always need they don't always need to be redeemed because like honestly sometimes that like that doesn't always give them depth and it doesn't give it always give depth that's necessary to the story and it's and sometimes it can be detrimental to it yeah like maybe that's just not their character purpose i think of guardians of the galaxy volume three where you have the main villain there's no redemption. He's just an evil, evil, evil man. But the yeah. the stories about Rocket and how he has to heal and continue life after having all these atrocities happen to him when he lost his friends, like that's the the heart and you know the the stories with him. And we, in my opinion, like I was perfectly fine that the what high evolution what high evolution is his name, you know evil and discarded like i don't want to know anything human about him he is the equivalent of i did a, a 
a bonus episode and I'm forgetting Joseph Mengele. He's the Nazi doctor who deformed people and species against their will uh, for his own, you know, sick exploration. I don't want to know that, that he's human. I don't want to know that there's a chance for redemption. I just want him gone. Absolutely. No forgiving Nazis. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been an outstanding conversation. Do you have any final remarks that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, I would just say like, you know, if you're going to do the redemption arc, like you got to think, you got to think on like how you're going to pull that off and make sure that, uh, make sure that you're not trying to redeem a character like who shouldn't be redeemed <laughs> or that if you're going to, or if you're going to do it, like make sure you know that, uh, if you redeem a character, not every single reader might agree that the character deserved it. Just like Kylo Ren, where I'm sure there are plenty of people who are very much happy with how he got to redeem himself and then die as a redeemed man. There are people that are probably happy with it. And then there are people like me who aren't. Uh, so you're just going to kind of have to, you're going to have to accept that if you're pulling off a redemption arc, depending on what that character has done or what their journey is, not everybody is going to be into it. Cause that's, that's kind of what real life is like. That, that's so true. And how can people find you? Uh, you can find me at mattbrownwrites.com. I'm also Matt Brown Writes on Twitter and Instagram. And you have a short story out. I do. Yes, I still do have a short story. It's uh, Pepper Dam Luck, Tales from Echis 6. It's a sci-fi Western with velociraptors. Uh, and you can go on my website and read it. And I have it in uh, in print, but also you can uh, listen to an audiobook if you got 40 minutes to spare on a car ride to and from work. Uh, and, and I think it's pretty cool. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com. Thank you.